HRN listeners. As we celebrate our 15th year, we are deepening our commitment to giving voice to the next generation of food system storytellers, and we need your help. Our internship and fellowship programs help activate new possibilities for underrepresented and underestimated young people through experiential journalism, audio engineering, and production training. Through these unique programs, HRN helps food equity stewards build essential workforce readiness skills that expand their potential and foster economic mobility. Please consider supporting these critical programs. And with a minimum donation, you can be entered to win a dinner for two at an amazing restaurant in one of eight cities and tickets to a concert at a great venue in one of those cities. We have incredible partners across the country who have donated as they also share our passion for helping to educate the next generation of food system storytellers. Check out heritageradionetwork.org 15 to donate and enter to win today. That's heritageradionetwork.org 15 to donate and enter to win today. And make sure you donate before March 31st. Thank you. This is Bernie Lovers, the global brand ambassador for whiskeys for Heaven Hill Distillery out of Bartstown in Louisville, Kentucky. And you're listening to Heritage Radio Network. I'm HRN's Communications Director, Kat Johnson, with a preview of this week's episode of Meat and Three, our weekly food news roundup. This week, we're celebrating Valentine's Day. Whether it's your favorite day of the season or you avoid it like the plague, there's no debating it's a big day for the world of food and hospitality. Valentine's Day is what we uh, refer to in the industry as a blackout day. I don't feel that my manlyhood is threatened when I order a glass of rosé or, God forbid, a rosé champagne. It's an old Jamaican drink from way back, and we just decided to bring it back into existence. It's a drink that the men, they believe it really does wonders. Tune in to this week's Meet and 3 on Heritage Radio Network. That's M-E-A-T plus sign T-H-R-E-E. Available wherever you listen to podcasts. So you don't shun the devil with your rock and roll load. Knows that country music's gonna save your soul. The devil runs his groove in that rhythm and blues that sound. It's gonna get you some in the end. Welcome back to the Speakeasy. I'm Southern Teague. Damon Bolte is in San Francisco. Probably hanging out listening to the show. Hey, Damon, how are you? Um, and I'm sitting here in snowy New York City uh, with a studio full of people who are trying to bring the sunshine. Uh, first, I got my buddy Jake in from uh, the Twin Cities, where you, you came for the sunshine, right? Absolutely. <laughs> like, uh, much much warmer here than where you're at, right? Yeah, it was a 50-degree uh, turnaround from where we were in Minneapolis. So, uh, I'm definitely enjoying this warm, snowy weather 50 right degrees. Now. It's like... 30 degrees here. Yeah, it was negative five um, when I left. Uh, about two weeks ago, we had uh, uh, it was a wind chill of negative 55, so it was actually colder in Minnesota than uh, what it actually was on Mars. So, it, you know, there was that. My uh, <laughs> my son had cold days. He didn't have snow days. It was cold days. So Too cold to go to school. Too cold. Too cold, man. Yeah, so, I grew up in Florida. We never had that. No. We never even had snow days. No, it keeps the... Uh, we, we, got, we miss school for hurricanes sometimes. Yeah, but no, cold days. But nothing like 55... Negative 55 degree wind chills Jesus. in the Twin Cities. Uh, so you came to New York City to hang out and, and have some drinks and 
and come to the studio again. You've been here before. Yes, yeah, yes, I have back. been. Thank you, thank you for having me. It's uh, it's always fun, you know, listening in Minneapolis, but then being able to come here and hang out with you and talk shop. So yeah, I appreciate it. Uh, tell me what's going on right now in Minneapolis. What are you doing? You got a new job since I saw you last. Yes, yes. So right now, and I'm, consequently, it ties in with what we're talking about. It does. It's yeah. so cool. Uh, super happy. Um, so it's called Lolito. It's actually in Stillwater, Minnesota, um, River Town, right on the Mississippi or St. Croix, actually. Um, and uh, we specialize in tequila, mezcal, and rum, and have a uh, you know Latin Yucatan Oaxacan uh, focus on the food kind of tapa style um, and everything. So it's uh, we've been open for, gosh, it's been two and a half weeks now, three weeks almost. Wow, brand new, brand new. How do you get to break away and go to New York when you're a brand new place? Um, I uh, well, my friends that are there, my boss and everything like that, um, all gratefully let me come here and hang out with my cocktail friends and. Uh, <laughs> talk shop and this is uh, a a recon r&d mission absolutely always r&d but i mainly just came out to hang out with all my cocktail friends out here so perfect yeah well thanks for being with us of course always a pleasure always i'm excited to try this uh beautiful looking tequila that we have out in front of us right now yeah outstanding we got in the studio today uh from hiatus tequila christopher DeSoto uh, and david osher welcome to the studio guys thank you Good Great to, to be here. You. Yeah, man. Good to see you both. I'm sure you're both also enjoying the snowy Brooklyn weather. Absolutely. <laughs> <laughs> um, so, Christopher, you um, have been living in Mexico for about seven years, is what you told me earlier. Is that right? Correct. Are I you, lived still, in, you, you still living there? No, I live in Manhattan now, but I lived okay, in Mexico for over seven years throughout my life. All right. So you're back here in New York City. Um, but you went down there. You, I mean, I don't want to tell your story. I want you to tell it, but you, you fell in love with local spirits obviously those were mainly tequilas and, and the like agave spirits and and then talk about talk about what happened to you when you lived in mexico yeah so i just i grew up in between texas and mexico just drinking a different flavor profile of a tequila uh, my family's always done business in mexico they were bringing stuff back you know back when i was a kid we used to have margarita when parties. it was easier to go back and forth i guess right exactly you didn't, <laughs> you didn't, need, you didn't need a passport or anything back then right uh, but i grew up different tequilas in our bar that you would find in the u.s to begin with uh, and then having lived so long down in mexico i was drinking you know products that you wouldn't find on this side of the border you know, yeah. there's, there's about 1500 brands produced and most of them aren't on this side of the border at all so i lived abroad for about 11 years between europe australia and, and mexico when i moved back to new york uh, you, were, you were selling helicopters. Selling helicopters amongst door other to door things. or what? Yeah, door to door, door to door, door to door helicopter sales. You betcha. Uh, but when I moved back to New York in 2011, um, started experimenting with some of these new tequila brands that had been on the market or come onto the market since I'd lived abroad, and I just was surprised that it didn't taste like tequila. So. My interest was, well, let's bring a better tequila to the market that actually tastes, you know, like the, the spirit should. Heavy agave uh, notes, earth, spice, all those good things versus sweetness and vanillas and things that are not ne- necessarily natural to the, the product itself. Sure. I think that we saw um, a period of time where, where those notes that you just mentioned were, were super common in tequila. And I, I, I conjected, and I could be totally wrong, of course, but... I think that that was the tequila market trying to play towards the American whiskey market, right? Absolutely. Like when tequilas were coming over and they tasted, like you just said, of vanilla and oak and wood, that was just them trying to be like, hey, we're, we're kind of bourbon. <laughs> right. Right? Yeah, I mean, the American palate has changed more sweet profile for almost anything. I mean, think about orange juice today versus orange juice back in the day, right? Sure. Things are sweet, and, you know, they were playing off that. And, of course, most of those brands weren't even found on that side of the border. They were mainly... 
produce for this side of the border. So I think, you know, we're, we're embracing tequila now on this side of the border a lot more for what it's actually meant to be, and that's great. There's a lot more ex exploration going on into tequilas and all agave spirits, and we just wanted to be part of that, um, you know, bringing a, a more authentic flavor profile. <laughs> just yeah, up the sorry, submarine's coming. Alarm. That was my alarm. Sorry. A more authentic flavor profile to the market, <laughs> uh, the way it's supposed to be, you know, enjoyed. But also extremely sippable and smooth because you know more people are moving away from sugary cocktails, and that's oh, I something agree more with that. Right, absolutely, and we embrace that. So we wanted to make a tequila that tasted more authentically what it was meant to taste like, but also understanding that it needs to be extremely sippable. So we spent a lot of time R and D on uh, the way to create that without adding sweeteners and other things that kind of offset some of the harsh flavors that tequila might have been known for in the past. I'm sure we've all had that moment. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> once or twice. Um, well, I mean, but let's travel back a little bit further. We're getting deep into the hiatus already. The hiatus is the name of the brand. I don't know if I mentioned that yet. But uh, let's go back a little bit further. What What is it that sparked that interest when you were in Mexico in the beginning? What What made you... I mean, were you just out and about and on the town selling hel helicopters and getting drunk? Yeah, yeah pretty much. Something like I that. I mean, that, that's fine. <laughs> if that's the answer, that's fine. No, um, I lived... Uh, I, I lived. I'm going to crack one of these open. Absolutely. We start with do. Blanco as always, right? Uh, this, the pure expression of it. Absolutely. So I lived uh, not far from the village of Tequila. So I used to go there out of pure interest and, and to, toward distilleries. And there was particular brands that I lived that I drank when I lived on that side of the border that I sought after and... And I uh, got to meet the, you know, some of the families that are producing. And obviously, anybody that spent any time down there and, and sees the agave fields, it truly is a beautiful sight to see. And so it was just my interest. I wasn't yeah, it's kind of otherworldly looking. You know, uh, the, the soil is typically kind of a... I'm colorblind, but the soil is typically kind of a darker color, kind of reddish. And then these giant sprigs of what look like swords coming up out of the ground. Absolutely. Attached to a pineapple. Right. <laughs> like, it's like Dr. Seuss. That's when you're in the agave fields down there. Exactly. So it's majestic. And I wasn't in the industry oh, back uh, yeah, then. Yeah, that's what I meant. Majestic. Majestic, yeah. <laughs> I, 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 w I wasn't in the industry back then. And it didn't dawn on me, actually, when I was living there, that this is something I should be doing. It was when I moved back to the States and I realized that this side of the border really deserves to, 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 to experience something different than they are, generally speaking, experimenting with. So Yeah. Um, and how did you get to meet these families? I mean, I, I know just from my time visiting distilleries, you know, especially in the areas where, where it's densely populated with distilleries, like, uh, you know, in the southeast United States, you do just begin to naturally meet the families if you're hanging around there all the time. Is that just what happened? You were just... Yeah, if they're still, you know, owned by... with these guys, yeah. If, if they're not owned by multinational corporations, it's not that hard to actually meet the, you know, the people that produce down there. Um, another thing I did was early on in this process was go to the Tequila Regulatory Council and sit down with them and kind of explain what I was looking for, something more traditional in their, you know, their methodology. And there was particular brands that I liked that I only knew on that side of the border that I was looking uh, to, to recreate that kind of flavor profile. And so they made some introductions as well. Uh, they all, uh, the Tequila Regulatory Council is the, the rule makers for the industry. So they, you know, they know everybody and can make introductions as well. Yeah, absolutely. What, what made you take that, like, I mean, I know what made me do it. What made me go from, you know, you know, bar goer to bar tender to bar operator to bar owner. But what made you say to yourself, you know, helicopters are boring. Right. Horrible things. <laughs> I'm tired of <laughs> I'm tired of jetting all over the world in helicopters and selling them. And now I'm gonna I'm gonna focus on selling booze. That's like, a great question. I, I know. Let's hear the answer. Do you have one? So uh, growing <laughs> or do, up, or do we have to drink half a bottle yeah, of tequila yeah. to learn it's a great that? Mix. <laughs> to, to like it. 
That's right. <laughs> it goes naturally together. Right? helicopters, absolutely. Right? No, it's, it, I grew up in Texas uh, about a couple of miles away from Bell Helicopters factory, and that's their global headquarters was in that area. And on my way to university every day, I literally had to drive around their campus. So I didn't get into aviation because that's where I wanted to be. I accidentally stumbled into aviation and had an amazing career. But it wasn't what I was most passionate about. I'm not a pilot. I, I wasn't in the military you know, operating the aircraft. I wasn't a mechanic. I wasn't an engineer. I wasn't you know, designing helicopters. It's just something that I would happen to be fairly decent at once I accidentally got into it. Mm -hmm. But it wasn't where I, you know, I never saw myself. That's my career. That's just what I want to do. Plus, I'm, I've always been very entrepreneurial, and those are the absolute opposite of entrepreneurial. <laughs> They're big corporations that, you know, getting aircraft approved for flight can take decades, and it's just, you know, a monstrosity of a thing. So I, I just got kind of fed up with living under those circumstances and decided I wanted to branch off and do something I was more passionate about. And uh, now we're looking at it. Right. Passionate about tequila. Hmm. hmm. Yeah, lots of folks are. <laughs> so, well, we've already, I've already poured a little bit of the Blanco. Uh, talk about that, and then we'll, we'll talk about hiatus in general. But let's talk about the flavor profile of this one. Yeah, so I drink everything neat, um, regardless of the spirit for the most part. And I wanted to create a Blanco that has all those good agave, heavy agave nose, nice, the proper type of burn throughout, um, the earth, the spiciness, our tequilas from what's called the Tequila Valley. Some people call it the lowlands, but let's remember lowlands is at 3,500 feet, basically. So it's not exactly what most people think of when you know they talk about lowlands. Right. Um, so, and and the Tequila Regulatory Council doesn't really like using those terminology because it does have a you know sea level kind of a, a mentality. Some people put towards it. Um, so in our in our blanco, you should get heavy, heavy agave notes. You should taste some straw, you should taste peppers. Uh, we only double distill. So a lot of newer brands are triple and sometimes quadruple distilling. And I think they're thinking that they're making a smoother product, but what they're really doing is removing the agave flavors. Now the agave has to grow six to eight years to fully mature or sometimes longer. And yet, you know, they triple and quadruple distill and they're removing agave and I don't understand why they would do that. Sure, I, I, I remind people all the time that distill is a purifying machine. You can take the filthiest, grossest water and run it through a still and you have perfectly clean water, right? So it's taking out some of those nuanced flavors that may be left behind by the product exactly. that you started with, in this case, agave. Right, so hopefully what you experience is a lot of agave in your mouth and that's what tequila is supposed to taste like. Yeah, well on the nose I get like a lot of mineral. Mm -hmm. Like it smells to me like, I don't know, and grass, mineral and grass, like rocks and stones. Right, exactly. Yeah. Like it smells like rocks and stones. The earth in which it came out of, that's correct. Yeah, and grass. Fresh cut grass is something I've heard before. Yeah, yeah, for Cheers. sure. Um, the flavor is, um, oh man, that's a great sound on the radio. <laughs> the flavor is like a little bit of spice and a little bit of like, I don't I want to say white pepper. Great, great sipping tequila. Mm. Um, talk to me about the family that you work with now. Because you said uh, before we got on the air, you said they, they're, they're third generation already? The third generation is now running the, the facility. Um, they've expanded a lot. It's, into it's called the Brotherhood, right? The, La Cofredia, that's yep. correct. Um, they, they have several of their own brands, you know, more than a dozen of their own brands for the, the, the Mexican market that they do not export at all. And that's where I... In, was introduced to them through those brands. They do produce for other uh, boutique brands, foreign-owned brands. Mm -hmm. We're not the only ones. Um, 
but yeah, the third generation, the son is now running the whole, the entire export business. His father is now more into expanding their tourism. So, you know, you can go over there on tour, but they're also building out. Uh, you might have seen pictures of the big barrels in the agave fields. Those are actually hotel rooms. I, oh, okay. Yeah, I did see that. Yeah, so that's pretty pretty awesome thing that they've done there. And that's right there at the factory. So they have, you know, acres So you literally can go to the factory, stay in a hotel, like a little stay cabana there. that looks like a barrel that's right in the middle of the agave field. Absolutely. But it's actually, it's a luxurious yeah, room. It's not like a, you know, you're not glamping or anything. It's a, it's a nice room that you're staying in. It's pretty outstanding. Cool. Bigger than most uh, New York City studio apartments. <laughs> I mean... That doesn't take much, though, really. My, my apartment's only as big as this room we're in right now. Right. You just don't want to drink too much tequila and accidentally stumble out of your room onto an agave plant. Sure, yeah, because, again, they're like a, they're, they look like... It's a sword you know, fight. Yeah. Sword fights, yeah. Sword sticking out of a pineapple. Um, that's pretty amazing. So the 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 Brotherhood, say it again? La Cofradia. La Cofradia is, uh, is, a, is a distillery, but they, they make their own stuff, plus they make juice for other people. You're one of those other people. This that's is, correct. That's how this works. It's they right. have a handful of uh, export brands. They've got all the infrastructure and tools and you go in there and put in your recipe and they produce for you that's, that's right so we started working with them three and a half years ago basically to get to where we are today and we only launched eight weeks ago right you launched eight weeks ago but on the table here i'm seeing both uh, uh a reposado and an añejo so like you've been working on this long before you decided to launch three and a half years that to me is a whole nother question that needs to be answered um and maybe we'll answer that when we come right back let's let's take a break and hear from our sponsors we'll come right back and keep talking to the team from hiatus uh, tequila. This is Bernie Lubbers, the global brand ambassador for whiskeys at Heaven Hill Distillery, makers of Evan Williams Bourbon, here on the Speakeasy on Heritage Radio. And I am sipping on some great Heaven Hill whiskey. And I know the Southern knows about Evan Williams because it's the only bourbon. The single barrel is the only bourbon he carries in his bar, right? That's correct. We're the real deal. Kentucky owned, family owned since 1935. So when you sip Evan Williams, you're getting the native spirit of Kentucky by real Kentuckians owned by Kentucky in Kentucky. So Bernie Lover is telling you, sip on Evan Williams. And when you go see Southern, get some Evan Williams single barrel. Cheers. Are you enjoying this podcast? Heritage Radio Network has plenty more. It's Todd Shulkin, the host of Inside Julia's Kitchen here on HRN. Inside Julia's Kitchen carries on Julia Child's legacy of introducing the brightest lights in the food world to a wider audience, just as Julia did from her home kitchen. Look for Inside Julia's Kitchen wherever you listen to podcasts and on heritageradionetwork.org. And we are back at the Speakeasy with uh, our friends from Hiatus Tequila. Um, uh, and we're talking about uh, how, I think where we left off was you said you just started the company three years ago and you just launched eight weeks ago. And oftentimes in the spirits world, especially with something that's been aged, and I know you've only got a, a year of aging here on, on the one we're going to taste in a minute, but oftentimes in the spirits world, you say, okay, I'm going to make, a, let's say, a rye whiskey, but it needs to age for several years before I can sell it. So that means I've got to sell some white whiskey, maybe make some gin, maybe even a vodka to get some revenue into the house because I can't just make whiskey for years and barrel it prior to selling it. Like that's, that's a lot of upfront money. That's a lot of sitting on inventory and stock and money and money and money and money and money. How, how did you wait this long? To, basically what I'm asking is how come you didn't launch with a Blanco? And then later, then comes your uh, Reposado, and then later comes your Añejo. How did you how did you 
tame that beast. How did we decide how to do all this? So originally we were only I mean, gonna... other than the answer of like, are you crazy rich? Yeah, <laughs> I wish. <laughs> you don't look it. <laughs> Thank you. I appreciate that. I mean, you just look like us. I wore my best trash bag today. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> uh, no, it's a, it's a very valid point. Um, so again, we started this process three and a half years ago. So we really got our Blanco flavor profile nailed down uh, probably 18 months ago now. So from that point forward, then we started aging our Reposado. Last year, early last year, we did focus groups here in New York City over a three-day period. We brought in 100 people to, to come really explore the flavor profile to make sure we were happy. I, I won't go into... In- invitation lost in the mail, I assume. <laughs> Sorry about that. <laughs> um, but at that point, we did, our Añejo was still, you know, still in the barrel resting, so we, we couldn't test that one. But we got extremely positive response from the Blanco and the Reposado, so we knew that we were on the right track. So luckily, you know, even though early on it was really my liking of how I wanted to taste and then of course bringing industry experts in to, to play with it early on to see if they thought we were on the right track luckily you know people liked it so then it wasn't that difficult to continue you know to continue on and launch with all three products obviously always hang-ups like things that took longer than they should have on the other side of the border getting all the permits and approval so there was some of that too but really I mean we we didn't want to rush the market there's a big boom in tequila most agave spirits right we just wanted to do everything right, so to do focus groups even was crazy, but we wanted to test the bottle design, uh, the labels, um, how, how to best present the story, um, all that stuff. So it took a lot of time to do all those things correctly. From a startup brand, we did things as if we were building the next biggest thing out there, right? And, and therefore, it took a lot of time. But in the meantime, our product was, uh, it, it was resting and, and doing all the good stuff that brought us to where we are today. Yeah, outstanding. Um, and... Again, eight weeks. You're in. You're currently just in New York and Florida. New York and Florida markets. We're self-distributing. Uh, we are, we have about 75 accounts now, both on and off premise. We've we've been extremely fortunate because we have a good juice and and the packaging uh, down in down in Miami, for example, or in the Standard, or in the Satai, uh, Fort Lauderdale, or in the Westin and Dalmar Hotel and the Conrad. Uh, on the west coast in Sarasota, we're in about 20 accounts over there. Some really great ones. How uh, many people on your team on the ground selling this stuff? Yeah, not many of us. That's the beauty of I it. I mean, we're, 75 we can, accounts in eight weeks, that's, uh, you know, in two different states. It's impressive. Our team has done a phenomenal job. A lot, you know, having three and a half years to ed- <laughs> ease into it as well gave us a lot of time to properly plan out things. Sure. I mean, yeah, there's a yes and no there, right? It's certainly three, three and a half years to ease into it, but then still, when it's go time, it's go time. It's go time. That's right. right? And, you know, and I, we, I, I climbed the ladder slowly, but I still had to jump off the diving board. Right, right. right. <laughs> and launching right before Christmas wasn't necessarily by design. It's just that's the way it happened. And of course, you're an OND and nobody wants to talk to you, but we still managed to get 20 accounts between uh, right before Christmas and by the end of the year, which was phenomenal. But again, our team's been out there you know, knocking on a lot of doors. We have a lot of relationships that we could leverage. So yeah, it's, it's been a you know we've we, we're very thrilled that people are adapting you know that they're adopting the product because it, it is a good product. When they taste it, there's no argument that oh no this is an average product. You know we don't we don't need another tequila necessarily. There was a lot of the end of the year madness of we took too much inventory now we got to move yeah, through right. some. But otherwise when been they there. when they tra- taste the product like it's a, it's pretty much a yes. It's just a matter of when at that point. Sure, it's yeah, I get it because it's great. Uh, you just tried our blanco, it, uh, and it's delicious. It goes down smooth. And I was thinking, okay, I'm gonna dump this one and pour the next one, but then I keep saying, well, I'm just gonna finish this one. <laughs> but then I know I gotta work, go to work after this. 
That's fine. I'm the boss. Chris did an incredible good job of making sure that everybody in the team was extremely, extremely knowledgeable about tequila and well-trained as well. So Got them all drunk a bunch of times? <laughs> look, I mean, you know, I don't come from the spirits industry, and, you know, Chris flew me down to Texas so I could shadow spirits, uh, a salesman, an expert, for example. And uh, we've had a lot of uh, great people take us under their wings and show us the proper way of doing things, so... And we had the Tequila Regulatory Council come up, and we've done two trainings where they're actually teaching about tequila. So not just to us, but to the trade. We, we've had several mixologists that we've invited in to you know, sit through that training with us. Or our entire team's been trained up. that We've all had to take the very difficult test at the end and got our little diploma. It's about a six-hour course. Um, and, you know, we're giving love back to the community, the, the, you know, the mixology and bartending community by inviting them in to sit with, that, with those courses. Because, you know, it's not us teaching about tequila. It is the people that make the rules about tequila teaching about tequila. Yeah, outstanding. That's pretty cool. Yeah, we're going to continue like that to, series. I as spent well. I spent some, a good amount of time in in France and in, in cognac and the BNIC. Uh, you know, that's the regula- regulatory body over sure. all of cognac productions. And there's a lot. There's a lot in there. Yeah. Like when we when we the consumer get the bottle in our hand, we're like, yay, tequila. But like, there's a lot going on that regulates how it's made, why it's made, where it's made, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. It's not, it's not as simple as like the bullet points that we all know by heart. Right. But it, and, and and there's much more to learn and much more to know, and, and all of those things contribute to the final product, right? Absolutely. And and then it's again, it's not the brand teaching that stuff because you know the brand will tell you whatever story they want you to hear necessarily. But when we bring in the Tequila Regulatory Council to do those trainings, it's it's phenomenal because they're getting. I'd like to sit in on that. Absolutely. You're on the next one. I mean, I've we'll <laughs> thanks. <let you> know. <laughs> thanks. I mean, I've definitely been to you know plenty, plenty, plenty of, uh, of brand-driven uh, educational events, and certainly I might learn something about you know. You know that particular brand's apple brandy, but I may not learn a lot about apple brandy. Right. Um, I think that's the bigger educational point to make. Uh, it is. As a former educator myself, it's one of the most complicated spirits. If you think about it, walk into a liquor store and going to the, the tequila aisle, which then becomes the agave aisle, because you got other ones sitting mm-hmm. right next to people. Are like, wait, is this tequila? What's mezcal? And what are these other ones? Oh my goodness! Right. There's a huge education gap. Different colors, you know, different ages, yeah. price points all over the place. That's where it really right. starts from is, uh, you know, down to the education um, with the product. Um, I would, you know, have to say, I mean, with the age-old kind of production methods that are going on, would you, would you say that you guys are trying to maybe change some of those methods in order to keep up with, you know, the modernization that's kind of going on with the boom of the tequila, um, with the, you know, the brand, tequila market booming um, nowadays as well? Uh, great question. So the reason we were working with La Cofradia is they do things more traditionally, yet they are using technology to make things more sustainable, let's say. Um, but one of the big things is how do they cook it? Now, there's three different ways that you can cook. I'm not going to get into all that here because I could give you a two-hour dissertation on it. But they cook it the most traditional way that's still being practiced for the most part, um, which is in brick ovens. It takes longer. It's more of a proper roast, let's say, than... Some of the other methodology, which you know, I, I don't want to point fingers or anything like that today, but to, to us, it, it brings out more of the natural flavors of the agave itself. And then combining that with the way we f- do the fermentation, which is open air fermentation, um, the property itself is in agave fields. There's mango trees, there's lemon and lime trees, there's a lot of stuff going on. Plenty of great yeast floating around there. Absolutely, and, and we don't use any synthetic yeast. We don't, you know, we're not trying to accelerate anything. We're it's all natural. So, so you're getting a lot of. I mean, you know, as a former chef and and baker, I understand that that means you're getting a lot of the flavors that are in you know basically indigenous 
that's the terroir. You're getting a lot of that, uh, you know, certainly you're getting a lot of terroir from actually the earth itself, from the plant itself, but from the yeasts that are, are natural to the area during open fermentation, that, 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 that creates a very specific and unique flavor. Absolutely. And, so, and so you're not using a synthetic yeast that's a house yeast. You're using the local yeast, which is then becomes your house yeast. Exactly. Because it's only for you. Right. If I build a, the same exact everything 100 miles away, my tequila will taste different. Absolutely. Because the yeast is your yeast. And if you go into the city of tequila, and, and there's you know, some of the biggest producers are right there uh, in town, you know, it looks kind of like a... It looks like a manufacturing area. Yeah. Our distillery, while it's in the city of Tequila, it's on the outskirts. It's on the edge of the extinct volcano, surrounded by agave and, and trees. There's not another anything next to it. Like, it's just this big natural area. It's absolutely gorgeous place to go visit. Uh, but, yes, what you said about the yeast, I mean, there's all those natural things that are occurring right then and there versus if we were downtown with, with some of the other big boys. You know, you've got a factory next to a factory next to a factory next to a factory. You know, it's, it's, just, it's just a different environment. Yeah, absolutely. You can literally get hit in the head by falling mangoes as you enter our producer's facility. <laughs> uh, Isaac Newton's got nothing on you. Um, so, Dave, what's your role in all this? You're the co-founder. How did you, does that mean that you, you hooked up with this guy and you're like, He's, this crazy bastard might have something? You know, Chris and I have a really natural friendship. Uh, we've been working together for eight and a half years. Um, I met Chris when he first moved to New York when he was running the VIP segment for Airbus helicopters. And uh, I was uh, selling advertising for um, a fancy magazine called DuPont Registry, which I had uh, done for 13 years. And so Chris and I met, he was an advertiser of mine in the magazine, and he and I worked super close together for the past eight and a half years. And um, I, have some, I come from the music business as well and have some great relationships. And um, yeah, we've just worked together for a real long time. I've supported everything that Chris does. He's got the best business sense of anyone I've ever come across in the game. And, uh, yeah, we're just thr- thrilled to be here with you. So thanks for oh, having of us. Course. And Thank you. It's great to be at Roberta's and crush a couple pies before this interview. So, <laughs> yeah. yeah, you guys are eating them pretty fast. I was like, Hey guys, we got to go on the air. <laughs> <laughs> I'm trying not to burp it up. <laughs> uh, that's all right. Yeah. But you Chris, know, it's a, in, in many cultures, that's a sign of, uh, gratitude. Um, yeah, but we've worked together for a long, long time and, uh, we've been, uh, pounding the pavement, working really, really hard, and, uh, you know, it's amazing what some, uh, what some face time with people really, where it gets you, and uh, we're seeing a lot of success right now in New York um, with our relationships and friendships, and, um, you know, actually having a owner of a tequila company walk into a bar in New York City to, to have conversations with the mixologists there is just something that the other brands just aren't doing at all, so... Sounded like the start of a joke, didn't it? Yeah, yeah. Let's <laughs> let's get to the punchline. No, um, well, that's great. So, y- your connections in the music world is that gonna is that gonna help you with uh, maybe some promotional uh, aspects come coming in the future? You got you gonna put a bottle in, you know, in Beyonce's hand? You know, we're it's great. I'm getting these random text messages um, from musicians around New York who are saying in their in their lyrics, you know, taking shots of hiatus and going on hiatus and things like that. So it's going to be really magical to see these moments all shake out. You know, I don't want to drop any names or anything, right. but uh, it's going to be really fun. That's that's for sure. That's outstanding. Yeah. yeah he gets a cast of characters at any of his uh, birthday parties or events, and you're just like, really? All these people in one room? Such diversified backgrounds? It's, it's quite fascinating. I mean, that's the great thing about uh, about drinking in general, though. You know, any night I look around my bar, it's it's that. Exactly. You know, I've got the hoi polloi, I've got the the proletariat, I've got, uh, 
you know, the common man, the, the, the blue collar, the white collar, everybody's in the room. It's a beautiful thing. Absolutely. I, I love it. You yeah. know, I throw a party every night and I connect people. And I think that's what, you know, bottles of spirits on the shelves can do as well. 100%. In the home environment or, or behind bars as well. Um, you mentioned briefly there a little bit about sustainability. You want to talk about that a little bit? Because that's a hot topic with all spirits right now. And I think uh, actually in particular it's a hot topic with tequila. What, uh, what measures are you taking uh, at your distillery to be sustainable? Yeah, so the difference uh, with Loco for the Year that a lot of... Also, I'm sipping on this Ripo now. It's quite good. Good. Uh, one of the big differences, well, not just unique to Loco for the Year, but a lot of distillers don't necessarily have their own agave fields. Right. So they're buying agave and they're... they're sure, just like it. a lot of winemakers don't have their own grapes. A lot of, 100%. Most whiskey makers don't have their own grains. It's fine. 100%. So in our case, uh, with Loco for the Year, they do. They control about... They own about 50% of their own fields. So... Most of the waste that is part of the process goes back into fertilization, into their own fields. So that's something that you know, we can do unique. We've asked them, have you ever done any other products, you know, paper products with the agave fibers? Or, they don't need to because they have massive amounts of wow. land that they need to fertilize. That's cool. Yeah, so that's, that's one uniqueness. It also means that we know how our agave is being treated. Uh, th- what they don't control and own themselves, um, they, they have three farming families that they've been working with forever like decades so they know exactly where the agaves are coming from so 50 percent from them and the other 50 percent is just three farms and they know those guys and they know those guys right and again with the fertilization they need that kind of stuff too so the waste that normally i mean you'll get mountains and mountains of fiber agave fibers that are you know leftovers yeah the pulp from crushing the agave to get the juice exactly so they're turning that back into fertilization so they, they have a part of their area where they put all that they let it dry they process it into different things and then they they distribute it back out into their own fields so you got the one sort of more massive family farm that's the one you deal with, and then they deal with three smaller family farms. Right. And and even in that, that that's a conversation that comes up a lot, especially in the tequila world. That that part needing to be sustainable as well. Uh, you know, um, you know, I've heard some stories about how, you know, uh, the the guys out there that are using the coas to scrape the swords off that big pineapple. Um, uh, you know, they that's a hard job and it's kind of thankless. But it's respected, but those guys send their kids off to school, maybe, and then the kid comes back and it's like, I don't want that job. I don't want that job. So how is that position sustainable? And what Are you doing any measures to keep that position sustainable? So luckily, again, back to our, 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 our partners down there, our distillery, um, they treat their employees very well. They pay them more than the average. They actually have health insurance through them. So they have people that have been with them for their entire existence basically so right. if you look at the images on our bottle those are all people that are involved literally at you know that are part of luck over there these aren't stock imagery a friend of mine that lives in mexico is a photographer he spent a week with these guys really taking pictures of you know the people that are really behind the brand so as a, as a company as a distillery they do a lot to to give a better life but i can't imagine a day when harvesting the agave is ever industrialized I don't think it can be. This is a thing that must be done by hand. It must be done by hand. It's been There's done no by hand for There's no machine that can do years. this. Exactly. So, like if you've ever seen it being done, it, it, there's no machine that can do this. No, because every agave is a different shape, and it, it really matters how um, the the cut needs to be just right. If yeah. They how, leave too much. Basically, or how take close too you little, shave this guy. Right, and if they leave too much or they take too much, it it, it changes the flavor of, you know, of the agave. There's bitterness in the pinkas, which are the leaves, mm-hmm. and if if they leave too much of that. Um, 
it'll be more bitter. And if they remove too much of it, you won't get the bitterness that you also possibly might need. To create balance, yeah. Exactly. So so it's really a science. And, I mean, these guys, that sun down there is brutal. In the Tequila Valley, it's hot. Yeah. Like, that's a tough job. And we really respect the Hemadors is the name. Of, uh, Hemadors. I was, I was struggling Hemadors. to remember because I, I know Mescaleros in, in the Mezcal world, but right. so Hemadors, yeah. Right. Um, are the guys with the Koa, which is basically like a, a flattened, sometimes rounded hoe that they use to to stab at We've, while shaving off those long leaves. I bought some and brought them back. I should have brought one today. So you, well, you brought me a miniature one. I'll take I a brought you a miniature one, but the actual... Oh, I've it, used one. I've, I've been to, oh, so I've been you, to, I've okay. been to a, a, a distillery uh, for Mezcal, and you know they had us all do one. They had us all do one, and then they had us all watch the Mezcalero do one. Do it properly. Uh, properly <laughs> and and at speed. Right. <laughs> right. So each of know, us, each of us, were taking multiple strikes at this thing, taking minutes and upon minutes, Not and then an this dude task. comes up and whacks one in less than one minute. I, right. I filmed and timed it like less than a minute. Right. And he's like, yeah, you know, through a translator, we were talking to him, like, how many of these can you do per day? And he's like, on a good day, I can do 200 plus. Uh, amazing. Like, and it's an 8 to 10 pound tool that they're yeah. swinging around all day long. It's yeah, incredible. Yeah. yeah. And they're using it and, and being strangely forceful looking, but at the same time, really gentle in the work itself. Right. Like I said, it's kind of like shaving. And they're doing it while yeah, swinging an 8 pound tool at speed. Right. It's crazy. Yeah. And I think that's, again, it's a conversation that's come up not just in the tequila world, but, you know, here in our own country with just straight up agriculture, you know, farming jobs um, on family farms uh, are becoming harder and harder to fill. The family sends their kids off to college somewhere. The kid goes to college, gets a degree in whatever, business, accounting, et cetera, and comes back and is like, fuck this. I'm not farming. This is hard fucking work. It is. Right? Hard, thankless work. Right. So, yeah, I think it's a, I think it's something that needs to be addressed Um and I'm glad that you're at least paying attention to the notion that, that you know these families are doing it and they're passing it down and it's generational. Right. But like how to maintain that s- sustainability again? Sustainability, you know, like that's a, it's a strong word and it doesn't just mean like we recycle, right? right? It means like we invest in and, and reproduce. That word has gained more traction nowadays. I would say sustainability. Yeah, people. Well, people I think actually, it's, people yeah. use it poorly as well as as with any you know buzzword, but sure. But I think it's uh, at least it's creating conversation. It's making people ask questions and whether the answers are solid or not. Absolutely. Um, uh, so yeah, talk to me about. Um, I had some questions I was going to ask you here. Um, well, I wanted to get circle back. You mentioned it in brief, but I wanted to circle back um, about the Tequila Regulation Board. And the Tequila Regulation Board does allow for additives. Correct. But you choose zero, right? Correct. In all three products. Right. You, you, you don't add any sugars, you don't add any colors, you don't add any anything. That's correct. So this isn't unique to tequila, as you know. Sure. Most spirits can put things yep. in there. Rectification, it's usually yep. called. We want the, the thing to look and taste the same every time, year in, year out. So it's not as if they're breaking the rules. I think a lot of brands probably push the envelope as far as they possibly can, plus other things. So the things I mean, that, give somebody an envelope and they're going to push it. Absolutely. So the things that are allowed, um, and it's by volume, is uh, oak extract, caramel, the caramels to give it coloring, um, glycerin makes it feel silky in your mouth. Coat, yeah, mouth coating. And then sugars, of course. Um, so why do why do other brands do that? Um, various reasons. If you don't control your own agave, you don't necessarily always make sure it's ripe and it's got the proper sugar content. Like you, you get a load, you process it, you make tequila, and then you ended up maybe with a bitter tequila. So now you need to put something in there to make it taste better. Or not even better, just consistent with your product. Or consistent with your product, correct? Right. So this year's load of 
grapes were more sour than last year's loaded grapes. I got to balance something so my wine tastes the same. Exactly, and and same with colors. Um, some people want to have the perception things maybe have aged longer, so they put different flavorings as well. You know, people are pushing the envelope of what could and should be done. We're just decided that we don't want to do that. As you can see, our two, our repo and our añejo, are they're six months apart, but from a, from visually, they don't look like they're much apart at all. You know? And you see some tequilas that are extremely dark, extremely dark for their age, and it's like, well, it looks like it should have been sitting in a barrel for 15 years. It's not, you know. So those are just things that are obvious to some and not so much to others. And to us, it's important. You know, if you're going to drink a spirit, tequila, agave-based spirits, you know, it's a plant. Your body knows how to process plant-based things better than grains in some cases. And so, like, we think we have a, a beautiful spirit that's from a plant. Like, let's not mess it up by putting things in there that don't necessarily need to be in there. And if somebody doesn't want to buy our, our Añejo one year or one batch over another because it's slightly off color, I can live with that. Sure. Yeah. I mean, that's, uh, that's, uh, I think that those who are into spirits are into those kind of things, actually. Right. You know, those who are into spirits might, might even say to themselves, I'm going to, I'm going to drink all but 10% of this bottle because I'm going to save it to go side by side with next year's bottle. And then I'm going to drink only half of that 10%. So I still got 5% left. And I'll drink the other bottle to that level as well. And I get that next year. That way I still got a three way tasting, you know, like I know nerds like that. I right. probably am one. Um, <laughs> Yeah, and, and I think that's the great thing. You get to see uh, year over year the change in the in the in the this year agriculture. You get to see year over year the change in the hands of the, the distiller and the, the blender. Right. Um, yeah, I think so a lot of folks are fascinated by that. I, I get that there are some folks out there that are turned off by it, but you know, to each his own and that's the magic of, of making stuff, you know. And, yeah, and you think about with tequila with agave spirits, I mean the plant has to grow six, eight, even ten years. It's like of course there's gonna be variations. Like that's a long time. Uh yeah, it's not like corn, which is, you know, harvested twice a year or or, right. or other other, you know, uh, uh agricultural products that that can come out of the ground pretty quickly. Yeah, this is we should have mentioned that earlier on, but I think, you know, a lot of our listeners are educated enough to know, yeah, the agave plant isn't mature enough to use to make a product until it's uh, around six to eight years old. Uh, then you got to, you know, uh, harvest, ferment, distill, and if you're going to do any aging, age. So now we're looking, you know, if you're, if you're going for that reposado that's got a year in the barrel, that's we're looking at a nine-year process mm. um, just to get a thing that's a year old, whereas, say, bourbon... A nine-year process is something that's eight and a half years old. Right, exactly. <laughs> right, because it only took them out six months to get it out of the ground, get it, you know, fermented, distilled, and, and, and barreled. Um, so I think you know, people have to think about that too. Like, I think people often consider that tequila should be cheaper than whiskey because it doesn't take as long to make. But if you count in the part about growing, it takes just as long, if not longer, from than most. Tequila should be much more expensive. I agree. Tequila as well as mezcal. It's such a, yeah, all agave. It's such a manual process. I mean, to be able to harvest the agave is such a manual process. Everything about it. Mexico still has, you know, a low cost, a low labor base, you know, and that's the way they're able to get away with it. But honestly, a a Blanco shouldn't be any less than $50, $60, in my opinion. Wow. And yeah, that's what, I mean, as a, I feel like as a bar, like nowadays with the kind of the whiskey, bar being come a little more popular and a lot of the those whiskeys becoming allocated now um as a bar you can create a lot more um you know use tequila rum mezcal things like that um a lot more to have a lot more fun spirits and like you know have you know a, a lot better margin and things like that with uh with those products and they're not becoming as allocated because now it's like 
to have the whiskey bar, it's like you have to have the most kind of expensive shit, right. you know, to be like, you know, kind of the coolest. But now with tequila, rum, the, the palate of Americans changing as well, I feel, um, you know, they're starting to become more apt to trying tequila, trying other things outside of that whiskey kind of vodka round as well. Yeah, I'm all for it. I, I, I'm excited for it. So, I mean, I, I, you know, I'm always a believer that there's a seat in the Pantheon for everything. And I also think that as we keep going, we're just simply getting better at what we do and the technology to do whatever it is we're doing is becoming more readily available and, and, and easier to get a hold of. So I feel like in the last 10 to even up to 50 years, we've kind of eliminated bottom shelf. You know, mm. you may or may not like a product, but it's made well. Right. It's, uh, we know how to distill. We know how to filter. Things are made well now. And now it just comes down to taste. And that's where I get that sort of hyper nerdy situation where I say, yeah, I'm going to save a little of this bottle because I know next year is going to be a little different just because of the agriculture and just because of the hands of the distiller and just because of the blender or whoever. Right. Right. You know, like, oh, the master blender from this uh, this whiskey house has moved on to another whiskey house. A, I want to see what he's doing over there. But B, I want to see what happens to where he left. Right. Right. You know, so like all those factors that come into play that are, you know. Still with a quality product all the way across the board. Let's talk real fast about um, that Reposado we already drank, because now I've poured the Añejo and we didn't <laughs> even talk about the Reposado. Uh, but that one was a lot more earthy. That one uh, was a little bit more, you know, uh, rounded out those uh, grassy, uh, sharper notes, and it was a lot more earthy, right? Because it spent a little bit of time in the barrel. Correct. Not long, but I like to... How long was it in the barrel? Six months, you said? So the regulation is minimum of two months. And uh, you went to six. We do six. I like to point out to people, and you can, you know, back me up or, or, or refute me, I guess. Um, that that six months in a barrel in Mexico is way more than six months in a barrel in Kentucky. Because right? of the climate, it's a hotter oven, right? Right. right. So, like, uh, you know, I always used to uh, when I used to give, you know, talks about whiskey. Um, I would say. You know, the distiller views the world as an oven, just like a baker does, right? And you right. got your cookies on the sheet tray, and you get, there's a, there's ones in the back that get cooked too fast because that's the hot spot. There's the ones in the front that don't cook enough because that's the cool spot, and there's the ones in the middle that cook just right because that's the sweet spot, right? You got to turn that tray around. But it's the same time in the oven, right? Right. right. So I would always say the cool spot is like Scotland. You know, around 15 years of age is similar to the sweet spot of the southeast United States, which is six to eight years. Correct. Which is kind of similar to the hot spot down in Mexico, which is like one year. Could be as little as right. Yeah. So, like a year in Mexico is equal to maybe 15 years in Scotland or seven years in the United States. I mean, I can't say that just, scientifically, but it know, makes a lot of sense. Nor, to me. nor can I. <laughs> right. But I would, I would, I would literally have bottles in front of me that would sort of prove that point, both on color and flavor. Right. 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 So it's, a, it's amazing to see the our aging rooms as well. I mean, you literally have instead of. Instead of cutting down the trees, when they built the aging rooms, they actually simply cut holes in the ceilings and the trees. There are, are giant trees in our storage facilities growing up through the ceiling. It's incredible to see. Outstanding. That's how they control humidity. Indoor, in outdoor forest. Yeah, basically. Yeah, cool. that's cool. Yeah, it's not air conditioned. There's nothing going on like that. It's all natural. And then now we're going to take a quick sip of this uh, Añejo, and it went a, a full year. Yep. So regulation is one year to three years to make it an Añejo, and then uh, anything above that's an extra Añejo. Um, so do you want to touch on, you touched on it, I think, off air. Why would you go four months longer on the regulation on the, the uh, Reposado and then so much shorter on the regulation on the Añejo? Because you mentioned it why earlier, but I'd like to hear it again. Right, so complexity. I mean, I'm a purist. I love to taste the agave. The longer it sits in a barrel, the less you're going to taste the agave. You're going to get more notes out of the barrel. We use ex-American bourbon and whiskey barrels, so it's going to start picking up a lot of those notes. 
So the more it sits there, it's just a different flavor profile you're going to end up with. And I wanted to keep as much agave in the, the flavor profile as possible. So the six why the six months is because, well, two months is like, what's the point almost? I mean, yes, you'll get a little, little complexity, you'll get a little color. Six months seemed to be a nice point between none and where we wanted to go, which we knew we only wanted to do 12, 14 months at most for our Añejo. 12 is where we ended, and, and we're very happy with it. And keep an eye out on the on the news, because next month we're going to be uh, announcing a nice rating that we just received for our Añejo. Outstanding. I know you already told us off the air, and we can't say it right now, but that's great. It's a big deal. Um, talk to me real quick about um, where you can be found on the Internet so people can start following you, chasing you tracking you down so hiatus tequila.com and then on instagram it's at hiatus tequila and then our hashtag is on hiatus <laughs> on hiatus we want to be permanently on hiatus yeah because you are no more <laughs> no more helicopters and ad sales that's right it's a hiatus in mexico drinking tequila guys thanks so much for joining me from hiatus tequila here in the studio in new york city uh jake thanks for coming all the way from the twin cities and and not bringing the weather with you um, this has been another episode of the Speakeasy. Thanks for tuning in, guys. Uh, tune into the Heritage Radio Network for, m- for more shows just like this. Um, and love seeing you guys. Cheers. 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 Thanks, Cheers. Go buy hiatus on Drizzly. Nice. Squeaked it in. <laughs> uh, that was great. Did it go fast? It did. So you don't shun the devil with your rock and roll load. Knows that country music's gonna save your soul. Want more of the Speakeasy? Follow us and ask questions on Instagram at Speakeasy Podcast or on Twitter at Speakeasy Radio. You can find Damon at Damon Bolte and you can find me at Creative Drunk on all platforms. Take a moment to write us a review on Apple Podcasts or your favorite platform and give us a star rating. Five if possible. If you're visiting New York City or a resident, stop by the studio and hang out with us during an episode. Reach out beforehand to make sure we'll be here. We'd love to see you. And please support our show by visiting heritageradionetwork.org and clicking on the beating heart to donate. Thanks for listening to Heritage Radio Network, food radio supported by you. For our freshest content, to learn more about our 10-year anniversary celebration happening all year long, subscribe to our newsletter. Enter your email at the bottom of our website, heritageradionetwork.org. Connect with us on Instagram and Twitter. Our handle is at heritage underscore radio. You can also find us at facebook.com forward slash heritage radio network. Heritage Radio Network is a nonprofit organization driving conversations to make the world a better, fairer, and more delicious place. And we couldn't do it without support from listeners like you. Want to be a part of the food world's most innovative community? Subscribe to the shows you like, tell your friends, and please join the HRN family by becoming a member. Just click on the beating heart at the top right of our homepage. Thanks for listening.